Good evening. Tonight's scripture reading will come from the fifth Psalm, verses 1 through 3. Psalm chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. How would you describe a typical day in your life? If someone asked you that about, tell me what your day is like. On a typical day, how would you respond? I can imagine that many of us would say, well, I get up early and maybe try to beat others in the household as they get up. And then you start maybe exercising or doing whatever you can before everyone else gets up. And then get breakfast ready and get dressed. And probably most of us in a hurry to get out the door to get to work on time or students to class on time. And if you're retired to whatever the day's activities are, I I don't think there is necessarily any such thing as retirement as probably those among us who are retired could attest to. And then you go throughout your day hectically and you get done, run errands before you go home, finally make it home in time to fix dinner and maybe have a few hours left before it's time to go to bed. And then, of course, the next day we get up and repeat it again. Does that sound familiar to you? Can you relate to what I've just described. I wonder if you, like I do, sometimes feel like we're on a hamster wheel and you wonder when is it ever going to slow down. And yet, in spite of those hectic days that we live, you and I are called to pattern our lives after Christ and to model him. And when we look at his life, he didn't seem to have that hectic rush that is so easy for us to feel like we're going through day by day. I even suspect that because of the hectic schedules and the hectic lives that we lead, there may be some of us inclined to say, where is the joy that Christ promises? Where is this abundant life that he talks about? Why do I not feel that transformation that I thought I would when I became a Christian? Where is the joy? Am I truly experiencing the joyful, abundant life that Christ has for me? And I'll go a step further. I'm afraid that in too many cases, there are too many of us who feel like living the Christian life is making the decision at some point in our life to become a Christian and then the rest of our lives to do occasional good works as we can, try to follow as many rules as we can and obey them and do our very best and hope to make it to heaven someday. And dear friends, I want to suggest to you, if that is our concept of Christianity, we've missed the entire point. I'll never forget my sweet grandmother, and she must have been in her late 80s or early 90s when she said to me one day in all her innocence, having lived for the Lord so faithfully all her life, she said, Art, do you think I've done enough to make it to heaven? And I said, if you haven't done enough, none of us stand a chance. But I thought she's been deceived in some way to think it's, it's all about us doing enough. You see, our conversion, our decision to become Christians is just the beginning. That's when life gets exciting. And that's not the point we sit down and rest. That's the point when God begins to work in our life. And the rest of our life, he wants to mold us and prepare us for eternity. Did you know that's what this life is? This life is simply preparation for eternity. That's all it is. You've heard it said this is not a dress rehearsal. 
This life is preparing us for eternity. And not only that, but preparing us, hopefully, to take as many people as we can with us. Christ wants far more from your life and mine than our faithful church attendance and our good works and our efforts. He wants our very life so that you and I will be experiencing all he has prepared for us, all he wants to do with us in our life here so that we can be transformed and made ready for heaven and live lives of influence so that others will be drawn to him and they can go too. If you hear fervor in my voice, it's because this topic goes back for me about 25 years when, like many of these young people here, I was an undergrad student in college. I was doing the math earlier, and I think I must have been a junior or senior in college, and all of a sudden, one day, I heard a preacher talking about how fervently he desired to have his relationship with Christ, that that was the most important relationship to him in the world, far above anything else. And he was talking about this with such passion. And then, I don't mind telling you, what he said next changed my life forever. Because then he started talking about the time he spends alone with the Lord. Not in a worship service. The time he spends daily alone with the Lord, seeking to know his Savior seeking to know the God who created him and to do everything he can to cultivate cultivate that relationship with him. And he considered that time in his life to be the most important time of his life. It's what brings him the most joy. And then he started talking about things like this, about going into his prayer room in his house and getting on his face before the Lord. And in his prayer room, nothing is there except a few pillows on the floor. It's a small room. And that famous print of Daniel in the lion's den. You've probably seen it. Where the lions are surrounding Daniel. And Daniel is looking up through the light in the skylight. Because that reminds him of where he is to keep his eyes focused in the midst of the life that he's living in this world. I once heard him tell the congregation... He said, if you think that all I do during the week is jot down a few scriptures and get up here and preach a lesson to you, he said, you have no idea how I live my life because my life is consumed with knowing, God, what is your will for my life before I ever even attempt to get up here and teach it to other people? So it's no surprise when he's asked to give advice to aspiring ministers, this is what he says, that the most important time you will spend in your ministry is not the time you spend preparing a lesson. It is the time you spend searching God's word to know what is your will for me. And I remember it as if it were yesterday, hearing that preacher say those things, and I thought, wait, you mean there's, there's more? There's, there can be more to my relationship with God than just going to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night? You mean there's more? It changed my life. 
to know that God wants to have that personal relationship with each one of us that far extends beyond the walls of the church building, that far extends beyond the time we are here Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday nights. He wants to be involved in our lives day by day, hour by hour. Is that true? It is indeed. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says that you and I are to pray without ceasing. That suggests an ongoing, continual conversation with the Lord that is to be part of our lives. It's true because we know that he cares so much about us that the very hairs of our head are numbered. He's that interested in us personally. Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, we know it's true because the Bible says he knows our needs before we even ask them. And yet, he wants us to ask them, ask him for them, for what we want because he cares for us. We know it's true that he wants this kind of relationship because he knows us better than we know ourselves. The Bible says, every one of our days, from the day we were born until the day we were died, were ordained by God before one of them came to be. Before you and I were ever born into this world, he knew how long we would be here. He cares for us. We know it's true that he wants this kind of relationship because as the song says, his heart is touched with our grief. John chapter 11, Lazarus died and the Bible says Jesus wept. David, a man after God's own heart, the Bible says, so many of those psalms that we have were written on the hillside among the sheep. When David was cultivating that relationship, he was crying out to the Lord. And we know it's true first and foremost that God wants that kind of day-to-day, close, intimate, abiding relationship with us and us in him. Because Christ himself had that kind of relationship with his father. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 1 verse 35, it says, Early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus had that kind of relationship with his father, so much so that he even talked to him from the cross. And friends, I wonder, I can't help but wonder, if this intimate, personal, abiding relationship with Christ is not perhaps the biggest missing piece among us today as Christians. The neglect of cultivating this personal relationship with God. If that's that's not the reason that Christianity is, in truth, a passive pursuit for many people. I'll show up and then I can go about my way. If it's not the reason that we are not able to overcome temptation and sin successfully. And if it is not the reason why we don't have a vital impact in the lives of other people. But as one preacher said, when Christians know better, they'll do better. I have a little book at home called The Inner Life. It's one of my favorites. It's by Andrew Murray, and it's all about cultivating this kind of personal, intimate, close relationship with the Lord day by day. I want to read to you what it says in the introduction. It says, in the country of South Africa, there are various diseases that affect the orange trees. One of them is popularly known by the name of the root disease. A tree may be bearing fruit, and an ordinary observer may not notice anything wrong. However, an expert can see the beginning of a slow death. 
This disease also affects the vineyards, and only one cure has been found. That is to take out the old roots and provide new ones. The old vine is grafted onto a new root. In time, you will have the same stem and branches and fruit as before, but the roots are new and able to resist the disease. The disease comes in the part of the plant that is hidden from sight, and that is where healing must also take place. Now listen. The Church of Christ and the spiritual life of thousands of its members suffer from root disease, the neglect of secret communion with God. It is the lack of secret prayer, the neglect of the maintenance of a hidden life rooted and grounded in love that explains the inability of the Christian life to resist the world and its failure to produce fruit abundantly. Nothing can change this except the restoration of the inner chamber in the life of the believer. As we Christians learn to daily sink our roots deeper into Christ and to make secret personal fellowship with God our main priority, true godliness will flourish. And then Romans eleven sixteen it ends by saying, If the root be holy, so are the branches. Well, what is the solution? How do you begin to cultivate this to restore this type of relationship if you once had it and now don't? Or to start it afresh if never before you've thought about it, as I hadn't that, that time back when I was in college. I thought I was doing everything there was to do. As someone said, I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's this simple. It's starting every day in the word of God. We try to make it so difficult, that person said. That's all it is. It's starting every day in the Word of God. As one author wrote, it is impossible to live our daily Christian life without a daily close fellowship with God. This time of morning devotion is the key to the position in which the surrender to Christ can be fully maintained. And its chief purpose is to secure the presence of Christ for the entire day. It reminds me of Luke chapter 10 and Mary and Martha. And there Christ was in their house and Martha was in there preparing the meal. Mary was at his feet. Incidentally, it's where she's always found when scripture mentions her. She's always at Jesus's feet. Martha's complaining. Why don't you tell her to help me? But Jesus said, you're worried and troubled about many things, but only one thing is needed needful and Mary has found that good part which will not be taken away from her he was talking about spiritual food the most important thing is that you and I cultivate and and feast on the spiritual food I need thee every hour most gracious Lord no tender voice like thine can peace afford I need thee oh I need thee every hour I need thee Make me thine, O Savior, I come to thee. Friends, what I'm suggesting to us is if the only Bible we get as we go through our lives is the Bible we get when we are here together in this place, it's not enough. This isn't a magic book, but it is a supernatural book. 
because of who wrote it. God's word is a healer. God's word is a cleanser. God's word is an exposer. It's a purifier. And we've got to be in it. Without it, we are no match for Satan trying to destroy our influence for the Lord in this world and our soul. We need him every hour. What I would like to do with you in the time we have remaining tonight is to share with you some suggestions. And that's all they are about how others have found the way to make this kind of personal devotion with the Lord a meaningful part of their life. And maybe some of them will be meaningful to you as well. Here's the first suggestion, because it is a discipline. It's a discipline to cultivate our study and personal time with the Lord. Here's the first suggestion. Having a set time can be helpful. A set time of the day. For whatever reason, morning has historically been the time that most Christians find it easiest and best to spend their time alone with the Lord. They regard it as a duty and a privilege to spend part of their day with him, beginning the day to seek fellowship with God. The scripture that Mason read for us a few moments ago, in the midst of it, it, the psalmist said, My voice shall you hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct my prayer unto you and will look up. That's Psalm chapter 5, verse 3. There is something about spending the first half hour of the day with the person, the one, who is in charge of the day, who knows everything we're going to face and can prepare us to face it and equip us to see through it, to get us through it. Does that mean it has to be the morning? No, it doesn't. Other people have found that they prefer other times, but it seems that a lot of people feel that the morning is the time because it's before the day gets started when they can have the most control over what's happening. The first challenge of the day, as someone once said, is mind over mattress. And it's true. It may involve getting up 30 minutes earlier. Satan will fight us every day. But we have to protect that time because we have a standing time alone with the Lord. Having a time can be helpful. Secondly, having a set place can be helpful. Whether it's a certain room, a corner of a room, or a place out in your garden. Many of you, I'm sure, saw the movie called War Room. And it talked about a lady who had a place like this in her house. She had a closet. And in there were post-it notes on the wall of people and things that she was praying about so that she knew when she went in there, that's what she was to do. A place that you could get away. Now, do you have to have a place? No, you don't. But there is something about having a set place That you know when you go there, this is where I come to be alone with the Lord. And your mind can just go there. Is that a Bible concept? I would suggest to you that it is. Matthew chapter 6 verse 6 says, But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The New King James Version calls it a room. The King James Version calls it a closet. The American Standard Version says when you enter into your inner chamber, the NIV says your room. And I want to point out, notice that it says when, not if, but when you enter, when you pray, go into your room. And that's not just talking about ministers or elders or deacons. That's every one of us. 
having a set time can be helpful. Having a set place can be helpful. And thirdly and finally, having a set plan for what do you do when you get in there can be helpful. One writer says this, Beginners should spend at least half an hour a day in private devotions, trying to work up to longer times. They should find a quiet, private place large enough to kneel and sit to read. I suggest starting by focusing on the Lord with praise, spoken or sung, even if it seems awkward at first. Next are thanksgiving and confession, acknowledging that we need forgiveness every day. Intercession follows, preferably on a schedule. For instance, you pray for your family and friends every day, but on Monday you might also pray for the church, and on Tuesday for our country, and etc. Scripture reading followed by prayer and reflection are essential and can be implemented by a good Bible study guide. And the author added this, he said, You will be with the only one who can meet your every need, And you will start to become who he wants you to be. You can find a lot of plans for what to do during a time like we're talking about. But there seem to be three common elements that they all mention. The first one is prayer. As one writer said, your prayer life is the most important part of your life. If that's not right, nothing else is going to be right. It is in prayer that we acknowledge our dependence on God. It, it gets us recentered and once again focused every day on your will, Father, be done. Christ is personally interested in us, personally. He knows all about us, past, present, and future. He knows what he's equipped you to do best, and he knows how to help you do it each and every day. Some people pray out loud. They find that that helps them not get focused. Some people kneel, and you can think, yeah, you don't have to kneel. No, you don't, but you don't forget this. God honors the spirit of humility, and some of us can't kneel, and God understands that, but he honors the spirit of humility. There is something physiological about being on our knees in a posture of submission One preacher said, fight all your battles on your knees and you'll win every time. Some people lie down completely. Did you know the word prayer literally means to prostrate yourself? And at times that can be lying flat on the floor. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, What peace we often forfeit. What needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Prayer is a vital part of our daily time with the Lord. Bible study is the second thing. If you haven't read Psalm 119 lately, I encourage you to revisit it. It's a powerful chapter. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, but the entire thing is about God's word and what a treasure it is. And what value it has for us and why and what it can do for us. It's worth a read if you haven't read it lately. Let me give you two scriptures, two of my favorites within the chapter. Psalm 119 verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119 verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
And then you go to Psalm chapter 1, talking about a godly man or woman. And it says that that the delight of their heart is meditating on the word of God. Psalm chapter 1. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree firmly planted by the rivers of water. That brings forth its fruit in its season. Whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. If I told you there was a treasure buried outside, how many of us would go and take a shovel and shovel a couple of scoops and not finding the treasure quit? We wouldn't, because we know there is a treasure there. We would keep digging. And that's the same way it is with God's word. Don't you know he knew if we could read it one time and get everything we needed, he knew we would put it on the shelf and be done with it forever. But God's word is not like that because of who wrote it. That's why people will say every time I read it, I get something different out of it. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says that you and I are not to be conformed to this world. In other words, don't let the world shape you into thinking the way that it does. Instead... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And friends, this is how we do it. Our Cecil May said, maybe a year, year and a half ago now, something I have never forgotten and don't think I ever will forget. He said this, the greatest problem we face today, do you remember, is that Christians don't read their Bible. And it's true. This is where the power is. And we're not talking about the Bible that we hear in church, but the Bible that we hear in church and out of church, reading on our own. It is a discipline, but it leads to the greatest blessing and the greatest relationship. Show me a person who neglects this book, and I will show you someone in whose life sin is having a dominating effect. You cannot avoid this book and live righteously. No preacher is an exception. No elder, no deacon, no member, no one is an exception. This is where we get God's viewpoint. This is where he transforms us day by day. Any wonder, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Study to show yourself approved unto God. May it never be said about us what was said about the believers in Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 that said, when God said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But it's not just knowledge. It's application of it. It's not how many scriptures we apply to memory. It's how many we apply to life. Knowledge is knowing what to do. Wisdom is actually doing it. We must be in regular prayer during this time. We must be studying our Bible. And thirdly, the third thing and the final thing that seems to be a consistent part of a plan for times like this is meditation. What does it mean to meditate? Psalm 1 says that his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. Meditation is not just reading through the Bible in a year. Now, that's a noble and wonderful goal, but let us not forget we can read the Bible through in a year and miss God. 
This book is a book for a lifetime and we don't have to be in a rush. And some people will say, I, I may stay on one verse for a week or two because I know there is some truth there that God is trying to show me. It's not how much we read, it's that we do read. To meditate on God's word. What are you trying to say to me, Lord? Is there any truth here in this passage that I am to claim? Is there a promise that you want me to know, to believe in? Is there any sin that I am to avoid? It's thinking deeply about it. It's reading a passage and letting it get in so it can marinate and so it can soak and sit with us as we go throughout our day. That's meditation. When God's word gets into our heart and changes us. We've talked about having a time. Having a place And having a plan, a plan that includes prayer and Bible study and meditation. Now, let me warn you, there will be barriers to trying to develop this habit in our lives. Just get started and watch it. Satan will do anything he can to cause us not to keep this appointment. We do have an enemy. And he wants nothing more than to keep us from doing what we're talking about because this is where, this is the furnace where God does the changing, powerful work in your life and mine. We have to guard it at all costs. If our schedule is too busy to find time to do this, friends, what's the point? What's the point? We can find ourselves doing it and and, and get down to read and to study and to pray and we can't get our mind around it and we're thinking, what's going on? Why can't I get focused? And as one saint said, that is the time you must press through because Satan is doing everything he can to keep you from it. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. James chapter 4 verse 7. He will attempt to wear us out, Satan will to make us so sleepy, sleepy to stay up too late to get up and do this. So we need to be proactive about getting adequate rest so we can get up. It doesn't even have to be anything bad. It could be a phone call or somebody reaching out to us, but something that would distract us during that time. Do you know studies show that if you have a, a, a bing from your cell phone or a ping or a phone call or an email beep, that it can take as much as 15 minutes to get ourselves back on task when we have been focused on something intently. We have to have our priorities right. And anything that would compete with our maintenance of this daily appointment has to go. Christ said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 and 8, that he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. We have to protect that appointment at all costs. Let me quickly share with you five benefits to doing what we're talking about doing. Cultivating that personal, private relationship with the Lord. Number one, it secures Christ's presence for the day. We can know that we have placed it into the hands of the one in charge who knows what we're going to face and will equip us and enable us to be able to face it successfully. It sets the tone for the day. The whole day will respond to the first half hour. Secondly, 
It's the point at where and when we rededicate ourselves. The Bible says that Christ lives in us, Paul wrote. He said, I have been crucified, but I'm living. But it's not me that's living, it's Christ that's living in me. And that's the time that we rededicate that every day and allow him to get truths into us. We take up our cross daily. Thirdly, it's where God does the intimate, powerful, personal work of conforming us into the image of his son. That's his goal, Romans chapter 8 tells us. A fourth benefit is that others will see Christ living in us. Do you know how you can just tell when somebody has been with Jesus? There is a certain power, a certain calm, a certain light that emanates from them. You can know that God has been their teacher. They may not have official degrees on their wall, but they're wiser than any who do, many who do, because they have spent hour after hour doing what we're talking about tonight, and God has been their teacher. Acts chapter 7, verse 13, it happened to Peter and John. It says, when the rulers, elders, and scribes saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And then they realized they had been with Jesus. But the greatest benefit of, benefit of all is that Christ will be there. It is an intimate communion like no other. A risen Christ waits to meet us so that he can transform us, so that as we go throughout our day, when people meet us, they automatically meet him. That's the goal. I want to conclude this evening with a story. And I heard it years ago and, of course, related it to all of this other stuff that affected me so powerfully. And I'm thankful for you listening so attentively to let me share it with you. I do believe it's where it's at for us. This is called A Thousand Invisible Mornings, and it summarizes it all just beautifully. Whenever the Winter Olympics come around, I have a persistent memory that keeps flashing back in my brain. It was February, and I was speaking at a conference in Holland. The Winter Olympics were going on in Europe that year but they weren't on my radar. Until the afternoon, I had the TV on in my room while I was getting dressed for the next meeting. The commentary was all in Dutch, which was all Greek to me, until the announcer spoke a name I knew. In high school, she was active in a Christian campus club I directed. She heard about Jesus there and eventually made a commitment to him. I hadn't seen her since she was in high school until that afternoon in Holland. There she was, an Olympic ice skater representing the U.S. When I think Winter Olympics, I remember the amazing surprise of seeing what that young woman had become. Actually, I wasn't totally surprised because I knew this girl when the Olympics could not have been more than a distant dream. Every morning of the week, while her fellow students were still in bed, she was at the local ice rink practicing and practicing. While her friends were relaxing during the summer, she was in a Colorado training program, working and working. At one point, the teenage blonde, who became an Olympian, was in the rink when a tornado hit. She was seriously injured when the roof collapsed, 
but she battled back from that injury to practice and work even harder. During those European Olympics, the world saw her in all her Olympic glory, but we knew her long before that, and we knew how she got there. Through a thousand invisible mornings where she paid the price to be a champion, no one saw her. No one knew or cared if she was at that rink, but she just kept showing up. It turns out that the secret of being a spiritual champion is pretty much the same. A thousand invisible mornings with Jesus. He set the example by showing up morning after morning to spend time with his father. Mark chapter 3 verse 12 says that Jesus appointed 12 that they might be with him. You see, the first job of a disciple is to be with Jesus. It must have worked when the men who helped crucify Jesus hauled Peter and John in for questioning. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You can tell when someone has spent a lot of time with Jesus, there's something magnetic about them, an authority, a confidence, a power, a caring, because people become like the people they hang out with. And when you hang out with Jesus, you become more and more like him. Why are there so many Christians who have a head full of Jesus, but live such ordinary, even hypocritical lives? Why do many of us have a roller coaster faith with occasional highs, punctuating long stretches of bland mediocrity? It's because we won't pay the price to be a champion. The price is to make our daily time with Jesus non-negotiable, the anchor of our daily schedule, the sun around which all the other planets of our life must revolve. Christian meetings and events won't do it. Great Bible teaching or Christian fellowship won't do it. There simply is no substitute for the love-driven discipline of spending time with Jesus. We meet him in his book. It's the love letter that allows us to hear his heart until we can be in his presence. That enables us to be with him until we can really be with him in heaven. A vibrant, powerful relationship with Jesus Christ is rooted in those thousand invisible mornings with Jesus. No one will know if you show up except Jesus. But if you do show up consistently, people will notice the difference and be strangely drawn to the Jesus in you. He'll show up tomorrow morning as he has every morning since you met him. Be there. If we can help you with your spiritual walk this evening, won't you come while we stand together and sing? Those boys, so-